We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. It's 22 December 1932, and Adolf Hitler is still as far as he ever has been from becoming the leader of Germany. Hopefully he never will. That's what most people think. But not everyone. Bella Fromm was a woman with a coquettish mouth and dark eyebrows. She was 41 years old and a journalist. She worked for the Vossische Zeitung newspaper. This paper was a must-read if you wanted to try and keep up with the politics in Berlin. Nowadays, that was no easy thing to do. Bella had come from a wealthy Jewish family. By now, she'd been married twice. She'd had a daughter from the first marriage. But right now, once again, she was single. Alone again, naturally. The inflation disaster that hit Germany in 1923 had wiped out a lot of her inherited wealth and she had needed to get a job. And hence, she was now a journalist writing a column called Berlin Diplomats. She covered what was happening with the foreign embassies, staff and foreign ministry and the politicians in Berlin. She kept her poison tongue political analysis out of her newspaper column, saving it for her diary and her closest confidants. If she wanted to have good relations with these people, insulting them or betraying their confidences would not be the best way to go about it. Being a Jew today in Germany, 1932 that is, did mean that there were some people that didn't want to talk to you anyway, like say the National Socialist Party, the Nazis. Although she'd lost a lot of her wealth, she had managed to hang on to a villa in Berlin, a sports car, and two horses. Not bad in these financially distressed times. It was worth hearing her thoughts on what was happening in Germany and where the country was headed to. And she knew, because she has access to having a chat with US Consul General George Messersmith. He'd arrived in Berlin two years ago and was keeping a close eye on the Nazis in particular. It was Thursday, 22 December 1932. The beautiful Bella Fromm was attending a reception given by the American Consul General, George Messersmith. He spoke privately with her about his thoughts on what was happening at the top in Germany. You knew you could tell her your deepest, darkest thoughts and they would go no further. The German government had better act quickly and strongly. It's really upsetting to find so many people of importance in the National Socialist Party. There are going to be some fireworks here pretty soon, unless I'm badly mistaken. Christmas is now really close. The European tradition for gift-giving 
is that Christmas presents are exchanged on 24 December, Christmas Eve. So with only two days to go to Christmas, here's an advertisement for the perfect Christmas gift. It appeared this day in the Nazi newspaper, the Volkiska Biobachter, and read, Adolf Hitler's first and only record makes a wonderful Christmas present and will be an abiding source of enjoyment for any national socialist. Price, five marks, available at any book or music shop. Was this a sign of how desperate the Nazi party was to get that rare commodity for them right now? Money. On Friday, 23 December 1932, Joseph Goebbels and his wife Magda were attending a local Nazi party branch Christmas party when Magna, pregnant again, felt unwell. Her gynaecologist, Professor Walter Stokel, was called. He ordered her to be immediately admitted to the private clinic at the University Women's Hospital. She'd delivered her last child, Helga, in September 1931. She and Joseph Goebbels had only been married for a year, since late 1931. Magda cried at the thought of spending her Christmas in the hospital. It wasn't going to be a happy Christmas for Joseph at home alone. Magda was a huge fan of Hitler's. Perhaps her marriage to Goebbels offered her the only realistic chance of being close to the man who she perhaps deeply loved. Once, after Magda and Hitler had been brazenly flirting in front of Goebbels and other party officials, Goebbels wrote in his diary, Magda embarrasses herself in front of the boss. I suffer greatly. She is not altogether a lady. Fear I can't rely on her fidelity. That would be dreadful, says Goebbels, the man who had countless affairs with women and continued to do so throughout his married life. But Goebbels had nothing bad to say about the Fuhrer in his diary over this incident. I don't begrudge the boss a little warmth and loveliness. He gets so little of it. Goebbels had also written in his diary... I have few friends in the party, only Hitler almost. They all envy my success and my popularity. Not long before this, Himmler had set up an intelligence office in Berlin with the sole purpose of spying on Goebbels. Hitler had ordered it shut down. The news from the hospital about Magda wasn't good. Her condition was going from bad to worse. Perhaps she would have a miscarriage. Goebbels wrote in his diary, The year 1932 has been one long streak of bad luck. It should be smashed to smithereens. It was now Saturday, 24 December 1932, Christmas Eve. Members of the SS were in Goebbels' house putting up the Christmas tree. News from the hospital was that Magda's condition had become critical. Now she was fighting for her life. Magda was suffering heart spasms and cramps. Joseph had arranged a little Christmas party at the clinic to try to cheer her up. Magda's preteen son, 
Harold, from her first marriage, was there. A Christmas tree had been set up just outside the door to her room. Hitler sent a get-well telegram. He was going to be surprisingly caring and concerned over Magda's health, a side to Hitler that was rarely seen. On Christmas Day, Hitler went to celebrate. I'm not sure that that is the right word to use about the lapsed Catholic Adolf Hitler. At his favourite place in the world, his mountain retreat over Salzburg. Not much is known about how he celebrated that day. He was always generous and thoughtful about gifts. Before he came to power, he would often go shopping himself to choose something suitable. After he came to power, and especially with the war, he had to rely on his staff to bring a wide selection of possible gifts so he could choose from among them. He seems to have genuinely missed doing the shopping himself, though, after that wasn't possible any longer. Franz von Papen, the former German Chancellor, went to his home near the French border. His Christmas wish was to see the man who had plotted and brought about his downfall and was now the Chancellor, Kurt von Schleicher, suffer the same humiliation as he had. That was going to be his Christmas present, he hoped. At least the news from the hospital about Magda was now a little more encouraging. She was doing better. Remember, this is the time before antibiotics. There were antibiotic-type drugs in Germany called sulfonamides, but taking them could come with a lot of problems, and some of them serious. The meeting between Hitler and von Papen that had been discussed a few days before between one of Hitler's industrialist supporters had still not happened. Hitler was in two minds about meeting with Papen. On 13 August 1932, After the Nazis had had their best ever electoral results in a free election, President Hindenburg had told Hitler that he wouldn't be appointed the Chancellor of Germany. Hitler had taken this news very badly. Who was behind it? Hitler thought it was probably von Papen, so now he harboured a grudge against him. But other advisers thought it had been part of von Schleicher's manoeuvrings. If Hitler didn't get over it, though, was it going to block him from ever getting the job of Chancellor? Now it's Tuesday, 27 December 1932. Gregor Strasser, the man who had resigned and left the Nazi party just before Christmas, had left and gone to Rome. Now that Christmas was over, he was returning. What would happen? Bella Fromm's newspaper... The Vossisch Zeitung newspaper ran the headline, Strasser's Demands. Must Hitler give in? The front page story continued. If Strasser comes back, it won't be as a supplicant to the Führer, cowed and remorseful, but as a decisive force. The article went on to say that Gregor Strasser wanted total control of the Nazi party. Would Hitler agree? Could their relationship be repaired? What was going to be the outcome? On Wednesday, 28 December 1932, Hitler invited Goebbels and his little travelling companion, Magda's son, Harold, from the previous marriage, to join him at the Ober Salzburg. 
Goebbels met the head of the Saxony branch of the Nazi party on the train, and his news wasn't good. Strasser, Goebbels was told, was negotiating with Chancellor Schleicher for a place in his cabinet. This wasn't going to be a relaxing break for Goebbels or Hitler. Goebbels, Harold and the local branch leader were greeted at the station by a sled. They piled in and were taken up to Hitler's mountain home. That same day, the beautiful Jewess, Bella Fromm, was invited to a very exclusive dinner party that the Chancellor, Schleicher, was holding. Only 12 guests. She was definitely an intimate of the politically powerful. Bella took the opportunity to warn Schleicher that her American friend and journalist, Karl von Weigand, believed that Hitler's coming to power was likely to happen very soon. Schleicher brushed off her concerns, saying, You journalists are all alike. You make a living out of professional pessimism. Schleicher told her he had a lot of confidence in Gregor Strasser. He was on the far left of the Nazi party. Bella was sceptical, but kept her thoughts to herself. She thought that Strasser had lost a lot of his supporters in the Nazi party. Schleicher's dreams of getting Strasser into his cabinet wouldn't help, she thought. At last! The meeting between Hitler and von Papen was organised for a week's time, for January 1933. On Friday 30 December 1932, with New Year's Eve coming, Henkel, sparkling white wine, was in big demand. Joachim von Ribbentrop was happy about that. It was made by his wife's company. With the coming of the new year, the German people hoped that better times were ahead. The atmosphere was peaceful. Germany hadn't been involved in a war for 15 years, almost a whole generation. After all that Germany had been through over the recent years, she would surely come through it all right this coming year. Word came that day from the clinic that Magda Goebbels was on the mend. Hitler and Magda's son, Harold, jointly wrote a cheer-you-up letter and posted it off to Magda. That same day, Hitler showed Goebbels his New Year's Day speech. Hitler vowed that he would not be reconciling with Strasser and that he vowed he would fight to become the Chancellor with his dying breath. Goebbels was blown away with the speech. In his diary, he wrote, Hitler is fantastic. Goebbels could be counted on for always being enthusiastic about anything his boss was doing. Goebbels was undoubtedly Hitler's most loyal follower. So Goebbels' optimism was again renewed. It wouldn't have been if he read the report written that day by the Munich political police. The Munich political police report on the Nazi party was grim reading. It said, Not only have the new admissions almost all failed to appear, but an increasing lack of enthusiasm is palpable among the members. There are frequent departures, fees are paid only intermittently, and membership cancellations due to outstanding fees are increasingly common. It is now a widespread view among national socialists that they are past their peak, 
and that their once favourable prospects are behind them. The Berghof, Hitler's residence on the Elbe Salzburg, was going to be the venue for a big New Year's Eve party. The place was decked out in grand style. At midnight, after the New Year had been counted in, Joseph Goebbels shook the Führer's hand. He gazed at him and said, I wish you power. He knew what his boss's hopes for the New Year were. Fireworks were being let off, exploding in the valley below, bringing in the New Year with a bang. The illuminations from their explosions were colouring the snow-covered mountains. The church bells began to ring. The old year smashed, thought Goebbels. Sometime later, while people were still celebrating the beginning of the new year, Goebbels was on the telephone. It was the clinic again. The news again wasn't good. His wife Magda's condition had deteriorated. She now had to be fed through a tube. She was in serious danger of dying. The phone then clicked, dropping out, and the connection was lost. This wasn't an encouraging start to the new year for Goebbels. In the next program, I'll continue following the story of how, against all realistic expectations, Hitler won through. It's a real nail-biter. And thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you liked this program, you will definitely love my other program, CYKIAE.